This is The Extraordinary Story, a podcast about the life of Christ. Jesus Christ, God himself, entered the confusing maze that is our world to show us who we are and to give us his cross as a ladder up and out. This is his story and ours, The Extraordinary Story. Brought to you by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Written and hosted by Tom Hoops. We're going to talk about the parable of the sower today, which used to be my least favorite gospel reading. It was too long, too obvious, I thought, and not very deep, I felt. But I was wrong. I remember first realizing I was wrong when I heard a Protestant preacher speaking about it on the radio. That started to change my opinion. He saw a lot more there than I had. But now that I've looked into it even more, I think there's a lot to say, and it's really kind of a pivotal parable that gives the answer to lots of parables and actually a deeper truth about Jesus Christ. And it's a great way to end this season of Extraordinary Story because it's all about how the story has to continue when it ends. I'm going to read the parable of the sower from Mark, even though it appears in Matthew and Luke. I was going to do Matthew, but that's a little bit longer. And Mark has one line in it that is kind of key. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it had not much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those who were about him with the twelve asked him concerning the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they shall turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. And these, in like manner, are the ones sown upon rocky ground, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, Immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those that hear the word, but the cares of the world and the delight in riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown upon good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. 
So that's the gospel. And it's beautiful to imagine the scene. Jesus is sitting there in a boat as it kind of goes gently up and down. And his voice comes out loud and clear, but you can hear the wind, the birds in the distance, the quiet lapping of the water on the shore and against the boat. But you're also aware of all the people around you. So there's a crowd. And so that's why he has to get into a boat. And so there's lots and lots of people there. Some maybe that you came with, some friends or family who dragged you along or brought you for one reason or another. Some that you see in the crowd that you know. Uh, some you know are committed to Jesus. They're kind of into this whole Jesus thing that's happening. They have heard the stories. They have heard about the crowd that watched him raise the widow's son. They heard about the healings. They heard about the mind-blowing Sermon on the Mount and the incredible things he said there. Some of that because they want to find a chink in his armor. They want to figure out a way to prove that this guy is not the guy that their friends say he is or that he says he is. Others are there because they're kind of hoping maybe this is the guy who will give us a big political victory, who will overcome the Romans. But he's speaking to all of them and he's saying the same thing to all of them, regardless of where they're coming from or who they are. And what did they expect? They maybe expected a healing. They maybe expected some kind of wonder worker thing. Or maybe they expected, they probably expected more Sermon on the Mount type stuff, more abstract teachings about how he's going to change their relationship with the law. Instead, he tells them a story. There's kind of a mesmerizing quality to it if you think about it. With this man, this great figure there on the boat, and he's, your expectations are sky high. And instead, he tells this simple little story. A farmer went out to sow. You can imagine the farmer going out to sow. And you can realize that right in front of you, you have this extraordinary person who is right now sowing the word of God right in front of you, to you. And his words are for you right now. And the question suddenly becomes, which of these kinds of people are you? Which ground are you? Are you the rocky one? Are you the weeds? Are you the thorns? Or are you the good soil? We all kind of think we're going to be the good soil, but well, we'll see. So we'll talk about three different aspects of the gospel. There's the story itself, briefly. Then the explanation that Jesus gives as to why he speaks in parables at all. And then his explanation of the parable. So he says, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, some fell on rocky ground, some fell among thorns. So the parable of the sower is about a really bad farmer, it seems. I mean, at least here in Kansas, you tend to do a lot of prep work before you plant, and you plant in a very careful way to kind of make the most of the seed that you have. You don't just toss seed everywhere by the interstate and in the rocks and in the weeds. I don't know exactly what the sowing practices were in ancient Israel. Maybe he's referring to some kind of method that they have. I've heard a little bit about how they may have done it in a different way there. But at any rate, he is a kind of sower who doesn't mind wasting seed. And he's not worried about wasting seed now. He's telling all these people the same message, whether they're going to accept it or not. So there are three ways Jesus Christ goes out to sow in our day, and he still goes out to sow. And we hear the word of God through the scripture, 
which is what the extraordinary story is all about, but also through the teaching of the church, which I try to bring in as well. And also through our daily life, when we experience things and kind of look over them with Jesus Christ in prayer. So through scripture, through tradition and the church and through our daily life. So scripture, I don't know where you encounter scripture. I listen to the Bible in a Year podcast. I read the office. I listen at mass or more often the Bible in a Year podcast goes in one ear and out the other. The reading at mass, sometimes I'd be hard pressed to tell you what the gospel was or what the first reading was at the end of mass. Uh, and I have scripture in my home but I don't necessarily pick it up much to read. And where do we hear the church's teaching? I probably hear it more than you do because I'm here at Benedictine College and I talk to theology professors who are always working on telling people the teaching of the church. But even for me, I know if I'm ever asked, why does the church teach that marriage is only between a man and a woman? I have to stop and think about it. What does the church teach and why? If somebody asks me, why is the church against cloning? I have to stop and think about it and remind myself why. And as I've said before, if the church, if somebody asks me, why does the church say that people have to be baptized? I mean, the church also says that you're not necessarily lost if you're not baptized, right? Doesn't they say that? So why do people have to be baptized at all? I kind of have to stop and think about that. And these are all basic church teachings that we don't know very well. And then to hear Jesus speaking through the events of your life means to have a daily, you have to have a daily discussion with Jesus, a daily meditation where you look at what's happened in your life and try to put it in some perspective with Jesus. And I know after doing this for many years, I still find myself thinking about what happened during the day and wondering what the heck was that all about? Why is that okay? What does it mean? So Jesus is constantly sowing his seed in our own lives and we're constantly receiving it in not the greatest way. He surrounds us with scripture. He has the teaching of the church literally a thumb twitch away if we have a smartphone. Uh, he has tabernacles all over the country waiting for us to come in and have him ask us questions like he did in the temple. Well, St. John Chrysostom said that even in his time, the greater portion of the seed is lost. But it's not the fault of the sower that it's lost. It's the fault of we who are receiving it. Jesus telling the parables themselves are an instance of him sowing the seed. This is like a very meta thing where he's saying a sower went out to sow, and at the same time he is the sower who is sowing. And the apostles later take him aside and ask, Okay, what does this mean? So something becomes very clear at the beginning here of Jesus' ministry, and that's that he is going to have a different relationship with these 12 apostles, with his inner circle, than he's going to have with the people in general. I've listened to a lot of Protestant preachers talking about this parable, and they all have a really great understanding of it, a lot better than the Catholic homilists that I've listened to about it. But one thing they miss, and that frankly Catholics often miss, is that Jesus does the same thing today. There's all of us out there in the crowd, 
But then there's the 12, there's the apostles, as in our day, the successors to the apostles, the bishops, the teaching authority of the church. So the people in the big crowd hear one thing, but then these 12 are given a privileged understanding of it that it's now their job to bring to the rest of us. It's a huge blessing for us in the Catholic Church because it kind of locks doctrine down. The Catechism says, to proclaim the faith and to plant his reign, Christ sends his apostles and their successors. He gives them a share in his own mission. From him they receive the power to act in his person. The bishops established by the Holy Spirit succeed the apostles. They are the visible source and foundation of unity in their own particular churches. So lay people have our role. I'm a lay person who teaches CCD and am right now speaking to you about Jesus Christ. But when I can, I quote the authorities, the bishops who followed this in succession to the apostles down to our own day, especially the fathers of the church, the doctors of the church, like St. John Chrysostom, Augustine, and others. And he says in our reading something very strange that I think the magisterium is the solution for. He says he will give the apostles sort of the straight scoop, the real truth here, but quotes, for those outside, everything is imparable, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn again and be forgiven. End quote. That's very strange. Why does he want people not to understand? What I think he's trying to say, and what I gather from reading the church fathers on this, is that he wants us to depend on the church. He doesn't want a world where everybody has an equal understanding. Everyone is an equal interpreter of scripture, each a magisterium unto himself. Because what would happen then? Everybody would be their own church and they wouldn't be united to his core band of brothers and sisters that we've met in the extraordinary story. Protestants experience this all the time with a great sadness. They have a church that they like, that they're going to, and then there's a rift, and some people go off with the pastor, some people go off with a new pastor, they often have to find a new church, uh, and this happens again and again and again, just because the nature of human beings is that we are going to be divisive and we're gonna split off. But not if you have a church, not if you have a magisterium. As Origen put it in the early church, sometimes it does not turn out to be an advantage for one to be healed quickly or superficially. If I may speak paradoxically, God heals them by not healing them, lest a premature recovery of health should render them incurable. If the forgiveness of their sins were too easily obtained, they would fall again into the same disorder of sin, which they imagined could be cured without any difficulty." End quote. So he doesn't want us to be cured without a solid rehabilitation program in place. And the way you get a solid rehabilitation program is in a church, in a church with a magisterium. So we have a church that we turn to and the apostles on our behalf get great answers. And the answer they get here, first of all, is, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So this parable is a good way, uh, it's a kind of a, way to enter into all the parables. It's a key somehow to all the parables, according to Jesus. Well, there's lots of reasons that he speaks in parables rather than in just Sermon on the Mount, straightforward language, catechism language. 
One is the thing that you hear in writing classes, showing is better than telling. You've heard this saying, the medium is the message. So if a guy dresses up in a clown suit and says, I love you, that's going to be very different than if he dresses up and takes you to a restaurant and goes down on one knee and says, I love you. Uh, somebody texting, love you, babe, is very different from somebody writing in a letter, I love you, let me count the reasons why. So the medium, the way something is said, conveys something of what the content of the message is. So by showing, telling us these things in parables, Jesus is telling us that the whole order of the universe is speaking of his truth. He's telling us that this story will unfold itself in our lives in various ways. He's telling us that he's really experienced in the actions of real life, not in books, not in abstract language only. The parables are more visual. They're more memorable because they're visual. Um, they also have a more expansive meaning. They'll mean one thing for you today when you kind of go line by line through a parable. And then if you look at it three years from now, it's going to mean something totally different to you. They have a flexible meaning. Sometimes you're going to read it and you're going to say, oh my gosh, this is about the fact that I have too many weeds in my life. Sometimes you're going to read it and you're going to say, oh my gosh, this is about the fact that I'm not sowing Christ's seed in enough places. They also work on different levels. This parable is all about evangelization. It's also all about service. It's also all about hard work. It's also all about taking your task for Jesus seriously. It's also all about the incarnation, how God became man and order to sow his word. It's also about receiving the word. It's also about preparing our hearts before receiving the word. So he tells in this one compact story, all of these different things that can unfold for us as we read them year after year. Anyway, so he gets specific about his explanation. He says, the seed sown on the path is the one who hears the word of the kingdom without understanding it. And the evil one comes and steals away what has what was sown in his heart. So like I said, God speaks to us in scripture, the church's teaching and our life circumstance, but often those things go in one ear and out the other. Often we don't stop and pay attention. Often we're on the road to something else. So the seed comes to us, but we're too determined. We have our own agenda. We're on our own pathway to our own destination. And we don't stop to consider another destination. I think of this as, you know, there's the dad who wants to get you on your family vacation as fast as possible to the campground. And he's not going to stop and see the cool thing that you're passing. But apart from a literal destination on a trip, uh, St. Rabanus Moros, a ninth century archbishop who we've heard from before, says, the wayside is the mind trodden and hardened by the continual passage of evil thoughts. We're distracted, in other words. We're hardened by too many unworthy thoughts that have kind of traveled the path of our brain. Bad entertainment, gossipy conversations, salacious and other thoughts. Christ is supposed to be the destination of our life, the center of our life, the source and summit of our life but we kind of shove him beside on the wayside and do something else instead. The timelessness of the gospels is remarkable, I think, the way they're able to apply to various 
time periods. In one of the Gospels, he says, as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. And he later says the birds are demons. When I think about birds coming and eating up my thoughts, I'm, I think of Twitter. I'm not on Twitter, but Twitter is kind of iconic of the whole social media thing and, and the tendency of technology to come and gobble up our thoughts and just take us in a totally different place. You know, in the parable, he says people are too concerned with other things. And we're always consumed with other things when our smartphone is in our pocket or more so when it's in our hand. Second, he said, is the rocky ground where you receive Jesus with great emotion, but little follow through. These people have no root, so the faith lasts only for a time. When some tribulation or persecution comes, we fall away or get scorched by the sun. According to our friend, St. Rabanus Morris, the rocky ground is the hardness of the self-willed mind, he said. So it's the people who are making it too much about us. We love thinking holy thoughts. We love wholesomeness. Hallmark movies touch our hearts. Uh, we like mass a lot, maybe. We like glory and praise music, if that's our thing. Or we love the austerity of the old mass, if that's our thing. It makes us feel sweet and elevated and holy and awestruck. But in all these cases, what we're doing is we're loving something for the way it makes us feel. And we're falling into the trap of sort of the morality of our time, which Robert Bella calls expressive individualism, where it's all about us and our expression of who we are. Or Alastair McIntyre calls it emotivism, where any one of our moral thoughts, if I say murder is wrong, what I'm really saying is that I oppose murder, right? Uh, or Charles Taylor calls it moral therapeutic deism, where it's just this kind of banal, feel-good spirituality that gives us a little smattering of morality, but not so much that it would alarm anybody. All of these are ways of making God's word about me and not vice versa. Instead, his word needs to be a place where we confront our own depths, find Christ and find where he touches our lives and where he asks us to change things that we otherwise would never change. Loving the faith for consoling us and comforting us is not enough. If we don't love the faith when it upsets and provokes us, it'll never change us. It's interesting to consider that far from being silly, superficial people who aren't like the rest of us great Christians, these Christians who fall away from persecution uh, include every one of the apostles except for John, because as we'll see in the uh, crucifixion story, every one of the apostles except for John ran away from him. So when he's telling the apostles about these, and when he's telling us about these kinds of Christians, we shouldn't think, oh, those silly, superficial people, a good thing I'm not like that. Because probably wasn't long ago, maybe it was today, that you had an opportunity to share something you knew was right in the face of something that somebody else was saying and you chose not to, and you decided not to offend somebody at work, you decided not to offend somebody in your family, you decided not to say anything about something you could challenge your spouse with because you didn't want to start any unpleasantness. Anyway, so that's the rocky ground. 
Third, you can crowd Jesus out with your reliance on material comforts. This is the seed sown among thorns. It's choked by worldly anxiety and the lure of riches and bears no fruit. This is us when we hear Christ very well, we know exactly what he's asking, and yet we don't act on it. We know we should share the gospel, but we can't right now. There's our career to consider, and we have to be careful with our new neighbors. We know we should share in his sacrifice, and we definitely would. We totally would. But our money is kind of tied up right now. We've got kids to worry about. We've got a retirement that's kind of important looming ahead of us. We love the Blessed Sacrament. We know we should have a deeper prayer life, and we definitely want to do so when our routine is a little bit more set uh, and when we can kind of spare the time better when our life changes. So we find ourselves allowing all these things to grow up instead that choke out our spiritual life. We become obsessed with sports news because sports is a great way to have like kind of small, vicarious, exciting things that you participate in and move on from. Uh, the latest atrocity, maybe we like reading the news, the latest crazy thing that happened, the latest celebrity gossip. It's fascinating to hear what these people are up to and what they're doing. Or spending time looking at things to buy, either like a technological gadget or uh, clothing or whatever it is that, that we like to surf Amazon for. In fact, I think it's true that it's harder to keep your faith when you're materially complacent than it is to keep your faith when you're persecuted. I think history kind of bears this out. People who suffer persecution tend to try to grab onto their faith a little more tightly and say, how dare you? This is mine. I'm not going to give it up. Whereas if you just move into a new neighborhood and you don't want to alarm the neighbors, eh, that's easy to kind of drop your faith a little bit and not insist on things and, uh, and try to get along. But next comes the good news in Jesus's explanation. And that is that the seed sown on rich soil is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields 60 or 30 or 100 fold, which apparently is a really, really good yield for seed. It certainly was in the ancient times. I, I, and kind of boning up for this particular episode, people kept saying, that the typical thing is sevenfold, or as somebody else said it was 10, somebody said it was like 12 to 15. So I don't know if these people actually know what it is, but I think 30, 60, and 100 is meant to be an impressive yield. So if you think, oh my gosh, I'm only a 30-fold guy at best, uh, well, 30-fold is, is, really, is not bad at all, right? Soil in the parable can't change itself, but St. John Chrysostom says that we can change our, quotes soil. Quote, with mind and doctrines, it is possible that the rocky be made rich soil and the way should no more be trodden upon and that the thorns should be eradicated, end quote. So it's pretty clear how to do this. The way to do it is to make God's word your destination, not something that's falling on the wayside. To practice accepting suffering and setbacks for Jesus without fleeing and breaking up the rocks in your heart that keep Jesus's roots from sinking deep. 
the way to fight thorns, I think, is first of all, pulling them out. If you're wasting your time watching uh, Simpson reruns, I don't know, maybe watch fewer of them. <laughs> so let's pull the thorns out. The other way to do that is to make the main plant grow bigger. You can either get rid of the weeds or you can just focus on making the 30-fold go to 60-fold, and that will do the same thing. Actually, the best thing to do to prepare your soil is to go out and sow. You know, the more you tell people about the truths of the faith, the more it will open your own heart to the truths of the faith. You don't have to be weird about it. I mean, you can just talk about how great confession was for you. You can talk about how you know, what beauty, goodness, or truth you've discovered and what it has to do with your faith. And so the way Jesus does, I think this is very much a parable about evangelization. And many of us want to pick who we evangelize to, saying, well, I'm not going to talk to that guy about the faith because that guy's not going to care. Well, you know what? Waste the seed. Talk to that guy about the faith. And what you'll find, the more you do this, is that people who, the last people you would have expected to be into the faith will have richer soil, more ready for you. And some of the people who you expected would totally be on board will be the ones who have the rocky soil and or who don't participate at all. But Jesus isn't naive. He knows that a lot of people are not going to take him up on this offer. Uh, many of us will let the cares of the world, the superficialities of life, and the glamour of evil nullify all of his good work. As he says in one of the Sower Gospels, Gross is the heart of this people. They will hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. End quote. I love that metaphor, that his tendency, he says, to, to say those who have ears ought to hear. He seems to be saying that we have the ability to hear him before he even speaks to us. So some of us have been, we've been prepared already and we're kind of making a choice to tune in or not. So he's saying, tune in. But it says a lot about who Jesus is that he risked all of this anyway, that despite knowing what we were gonna do with his word, he gave it to us anyway. Remember, through Adam and Eve, our family rejected him a long time ago and all of this is just a slow motion process of having us unhook from our faithless forebears and kind of graft ourselves onto him instead. A lot of us won't do it. This is the great risk inherent in Jesus's sacrifice on the cross. Not only did he die for us, he did so with no guaranteed result. The results of his sacrifice are entirely in our hands. We can totally make his death on the cross a waste of time as regards our life. He talks about sowing the seed in all of these places, and it's hard for me not to think about the Gospel of John when he's talking about sowing the seed. The Gospel of John, remember, starts out, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So this is the great sowing. This is the sower going out and sowing his seed becoming part of our world. Later in John, on the eve of the Passion, Jesus, the Word of God, describes how his mission will reach fulfillment. 
Amen, amen, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains just a grain of wheat, but if it dies, it produces much fruit. So the parable of the sower becomes literally true at the passion. The word of God is sown, killed, and buried in the ground only to emerge in the resurrection and emerge in the Eucharist and bear fruit a hundredfold. As a result of his sacrifice, we all have access to his grace if we embrace it, just as we all have access to the fruits of the earth if we use them. Jesus is the word of God who has sown himself in our soil. He did his part. He allowed himself to be cast down from heaven to the roadways of earth, but his sacrifice is subject to our freedom. It seems almost a waste the way the sower in the parable throws seed here and there and everywhere, and it can seem a waste for Jesus to die for people who don't notice and don't care. But for those who respond, he will give abundantly and eternally. The rain and snow come down and do not return, says Isaiah, till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. Today, our freedom decides if his sacrifice was wasted or not. Later, his justice will decide if our lives were wasted or not. So there's a lot coming up in the extraordinary story of Jesus on earth. A big crescendo is coming up in season two, a crescendo up to this big reveal of what his real plans are that's going to come as a shock to his apostles. Some of my favorite gospel stories are the next ones to come up, as a matter of fact. There's our Lord stilling the storm after being asleep in the boat. There's the curing of the woman with a hemorrhage, which I think is kind of the master story of what modern man is going through. There's the Gadarescene demoniac, who, as Fulton Sheen points out, is kind of an archetype of the demonic and an archetype of our time, as it turns out. So this, all this great stuff is coming up. It's like this seed being dropped into the maze of the world for us to take it or leave it. If we leave it, we wander on for the span of our life. Hopefully someone will pray for us after we die. But if we let the seed enter into our hearts and unfurl, our lives will be part of something much bigger. The story that everyone is hoping to hear, everyone is waiting to hear, everyone has been prepared to hear. Jesus Christ's extraordinary story. The Extraordinary Story is written by Tom Hoops and produced by Ex Corde at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas. Our mission is to produce media that will transform culture in America through Benedictine's mission of community, faith, and scholarship. If you enjoy this podcast, please follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Leave a review and share with a friend. Help us tell others about The Extraordinary Story. Visit us at excorde.org.